Hey, so glad that you're joining us this weekend here at Grace, and uh, it's been fun to hear from some of you, right? Uh, some of you we've had a chance to hear from. If we haven't heard from you, we'd love to hear from you, how you're doing. Some of you call Grace Church your home, and uh, still being cautious, right? Or you still need to be cautious, and we totally respect that and love that, uh, and we want to hear from you, how you're doing, and kind of how we can be praying for you. Some of you are from out of state and you kind of just check things out once in a while. And uh, so we love hearing from you as well. We have kind of an exciting weekend this weekend here at Grace Church at Norton. We have about 12, 13 people getting baptized, right? They're letting everybody know they said yes to Jesus. So really excited about that. Uh, I know for me and my wife, it was good to be away. Last week, we had a chance to get away. And uh, as we were away, we had a chance to go to Niagara Falls. And uh, we had a blast together. Uh, uh, we kind of stood under the falls, and that's our attempt at a selfie, right? It was so much fun just to bike and to hike and to rest and uh, to see the incredible creation, uh, even to read the stories about Niagara, right? It was fun for me to read the people that attempted to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel, right? And some of them have survived. Uh, my favorite story was in 1917, second person known to survive going over the falls in a barrel, right? He made it. And, but a few years later, he died when at his home he slipped on an orange peel. Right? It's like crazy, right? The irony of life. Uh, the falls were incredible. I love the picture of the falls here because uh, they told us some statistics that just blew my mind. Uh, and maybe you've been to Niagara Falls, I don't know. But it says, uh, you know, Niagara Falls, two main falls, right? The Horseshoe Falls, 187 feet high, 100 feet high for the American Falls. Uh, the Horseshoe Fall is 2,000 feet wide. The American Falls, 850 feet wide. But here's the one that got me. That between the two falls, a little over 750,000 gallons of water pour per second pour over those falls. That's per second. Like, it's amazing. Like, I love that stuff. I love the numbers. And when they were sharing this, I'm like mesmerized with that. I love that stuff because I love numbers, right? I love numbers. I was a math major. I loved math when I was in school. I loved doing math. I loved math. See if you can relate with this. I loved math until my kids went to school. <laughs> and they started doing math. Is anybody tracking with me on that, right? Like when your kids go to school and, and they start doing math, they come home, ask you to help with their math. They come home with a problem like, hey, 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 dad, what's 35 times 12, right? And so you sit down and figure it out the way you learned in school. And they're like, no, 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 that's not the way you do it, right? <laughs> right? You got to take 35 and you got to be 30 plus 5 and you got to draw a box and you got to make this and draw a diagram. You're like, I don't even understand what they're doing, right? This new math, so to speak. Uh, new ways to get the very same answers. But it's what I love about math. What I love about math is this. I love that the answer is the answer. No matter if you do it the old way or the new way, right? 35 times 12 always equals, 400, always equals 420. Always. No matter how you do it. Old way, new way, it is the answer. No matter your method, 1 plus 1 equals 2. No matter your method, 100 divided by 10 equals 10. No matter your method, 50 times 2 equals 100. When somebody comes to you and they say 1 plus 1 equals 3, that is not new math. That is wrong math. 
That is bad math. You're saying, Dan, why are you on this math thing? Because in Colossians chapter 2, Paul's teaching some math. He has to teach them some math because they've been taught some wrong math. And here's the math. I want you to write this down. The math that Paul is teaching, if you want to write this over Colossians 2 in your Bible, do it. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That, that is the story of Colossians 2. Now, now let's start with something we can all agree on. We can all agree on this, that you and I, no matter who you are listening, maybe listening for the first time, we all believe something about Jesus. So we can agree on that, right? You believe something about Jesus. What we might not agree on is this, that I believe that what you believe and what I believe about Jesus is the most important thing about us. That what I believe about Jesus is the most important thing about me. What you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. And what you believe about Jesus isn't just what you declare, but what your life demonstrates. You see, that's why Paul's writing this little letter to this church. He didn't even meet these people. He heard about them, loved them. He was working hard for them because he knew that what they believed about Jesus was the most important thing about them. And so that's why he's writing to them. And that's why Pastor Adam started us last week. Colossians is all about Jesus. Jesus is supreme. There's no one like him. He's the sustainer. He is the creator. He is superior. He is the king. He is literally God in the flesh. But when you get to Colossians 2, Paul needs to teach them some math, some Jesus math, if you were right? Some gospel math, because some people had taught them a new math, and it wasn't math at all. It was a wrong math. It was bad math. And Paul wanted them to beware of this bad math. Uh, look what he says in verse 8. He says this, see to it that no one takes you captive. This bad math they're teaching you, this, 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 this stuff they're telling you, it's going to make you a prisoner, through hollow and deceptive philosophy, empty, a philosophy of life that overpromises, underdelivers, which depends on human tradition, they're making this up, and even Satan is involved, the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. He's saying they're teaching you some bad math. It overpromises, underdelivers, and it's going to leave you a prisoner. This bad math they're teaching you is going to somehow have consequences. It's going to capture you. It's going to imprison you. So that's why he goes on to say, verses 9, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you've been brought to, here's, here's his word, fullness, completeness. He is the head over every power and authority. He's just doing math. He's saying this, it's in Christ. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's complete, it's full. They were teaching a different math. They were saying it was Jesus plus something else equals everything you need. Jesus plus something else equals everything you're looking for. Jesus plus something else is how you get forgiveness. Jesus plus something else is how you gain favor with God. Jesus plus something else is how you get freedom. Jesus plus something else is how you're going to be fulfilled. 
<laughs> Some of the things they were teaching, there was this thing called asceticism. Jesus plus really brutally disciplining your body so that absolutely no pleasure, even to the point where you might even punish your body so as to not want to indulge in pleasure, is what's going to bring you favor with God. Uh, they were teaching legalism. You can write these things down, right? Legalism. Jesus plus keeping all the man-made laundry list of rules is how you gain favor with God. It's how you live a life for God. Or, or, or they taught this. Some of them taught this, that Jesus plus this, this mystical spiritual experience is, is, is really what it means to live a fulfilled life. That, that there's this secret knowledge uh, there's nothing new under the sun, by the way, right? Ever read Da Vinci Code and all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. Saying Jesus plus something. Paul is writing this to them. He could be writing it to us. And, and, and he's saying this. He's saying, this is not new math. It's not even math. It's deceptive. It's hollow. It's bad math. And you're going to end up with the wrong answer if you use that math to live your life. And, and that wrong answer is going to lead to wrong conclusions that are going to lead to devastating consequences. The point he's making is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And in this passage, there's three things he wants to address. We're going to do it quickly. Three things he wants to address. The first is this. The first thing Paul addresses is something we all feel. What is the solution for my sin? Uh, all of us feel this. Is there a gimmick for getting rid of my guilt, right? <laughs> all of us struggle with this. How do I make up for the mess that I've made of my life? What do I do with my guilt? What do I do with my regret? What do I do with my shame? What do I do with all that stuff? And Paul addresses that. He says, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And he addresses it beginning in verse 13. Look what he says. He says, when you were, underline this, he says when, not if. We've we, we got to talk about that for a minute. He says when, not if. When you were dead in your sins. He says not if you're dead in your sins. He says when you were dead. We're all dead in our sins. We're all sinners. You know that. Most people know that, right? Uh, but, but it's one thing to say, ah, I know it, right? But it's another thing to embrace it and say, I'm a sinner. And my sin, he's saying, is what makes me spiritually dead. And a dead person can't help themselves. They're dead. And, and, and Jesus is never, make the statement, going to make sense to me until I realize that I am dead in my sins. Jesus will never make sense to you until you realize this truth. I was talking with somebody recently, and they were talking about wanting to start an organization in a particular town. And that organization was to help people who were really struggling with some different things. And uh, the powers that be in that town decided that that organization could not start in that town because they didn't want those people in that town. Interesting. Isn't it interesting that we see others as those people, those people who are messed up, those people who are sinful, those people who, right? And what Paul is saying is, we're all those people. We is those people. <laughs> he says we're dead. 
And then he says this, he says, when you were dead, so we is those people, <laughs> he says, in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our flesh. Can we just talk about that for a second? Because that's weird. If you're sitting with somebody, just say, that's kind of weird, right? If you're near to the Bible, like, what's he talking about? Uh, here's what he's talking about. We'll come back to this. He's saying circumcision. So if, if you understand what circumcision, if you don't understand what circumcision is, and I don't know who you are watching this, right? You can ask somebody or ask your parents if you're young, whatever. But circumcision was a sign for the Israelites that, 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 that was a sign of their covenant with God. So all the Israelite men, it was a sign of their covenant with God. And it is literally a cutting away of some flesh, <laughs> right? What is Paul saying? He's using that as a figure of speech. He's saying that all of the works of my flesh, which are sinful, are still attached when I'm in my sin. That's what he's saying. He's saying this. He said, I'm dead in my sin, and I'm carrying around the guilt and the shame. I, I still have it. It still clings to me, is what he's saying. But then Paul says, but we got to do some math. Look what he says, verse 13. He says, but God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Paul just says, we got to do the math. What's the math? Write it down this way. Jesus plus nothing plus nothing equals complete forgiveness. That's what he's saying. Literally what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, and, and, I, and I double dog dare you to do this. Get a piece of paper. I got a blank piece of paper in front of me. Get a pen. He's saying, go ahead and write down all your sin. All the sin that you've done today. Go ahead, number them. You get down to about 100, right? Start on yesterday, right? Just kind of write them. That's what he's saying. Just kind of write them and then just write them all down. He said, and he's saying, "What do I? This is the work of my flesh. What do I do with this?" And he says, literally, the the words he used here is like a, a legal term. He says, "I carried around, and this is my rap sheet." It's like all my sin I carried around, and 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 he's saying we probably could just fill a whole ream of paper. What do I do? It's like connected to me. It's like the works of my flesh are my rap sheet. And it's like, I don't know what to do with it. And what he says we do with it is this, is we take our rap sheet and we give it to Jesus and literally he nails it right there with his nail print hand to the cross. And that's where complete forgiveness is found. That's what he's saying. He's saying that all that I've done, I bring, and it's paid for by all that he did. There's an old song that says this, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord on my soul. Why is this important? Because some of you watching this are doing some bad math. You're doing some bad math. And that bad math is leading you to some wrong conclusions. And those wrong conclusions can have devastating results. Somehow you've done the calculation in your head and you said, forgiveness for me is working my way out of this guilt that I feel. Somehow you've done the calculation and you said that, that making up for the mess that you've made of your life 
is what you need to do before you can come to God. And Paul says this. He says that's bad math because the only equation that will equal complete forgiveness is Jesus plus nothing. Nailing all that I did to what he did. And the moment we do, we're alive. The moment we do, we're forgiven. In fact, look a few verses up. He uses this weird analogy again. He says, in him, you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. What's he saying? He's saying, as long as I carry this wrap sheet around, I'm uncircumcised. But he says, the minute I give it to Christ, it gets cut away. And then, literally, I identify with Christ. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off. That's what he's saying. When you were circumcised by Christ. He's using a word picture. He's saying, literally, the works of my flesh are put off. And they're put onto Christ. And then they buried him. I'm buried with him in baptism. That's why it's a beautiful picture. In which you were raised with him through your faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. I trust God, the one who forgives. I'm alive I am forgiven. Some of you are doing some bad math. And, and Paul is saying this, Jesus plus nothing equals your complete forgiveness. That isn't all Paul has to say. Now, Paul has more to say. Here's what he says. He says, you start with Christ, you need to stay with Christ. Look what he says in verse six. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue, circle that in your Bibles, continue to live your lives in him. Root it and build up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul says, you got to do some math. And here's the math. Jesus plus what? Nothing. Equals complete fulfillment. That's what he's saying. He's, he's talking to, to, the, to the church and he's saying, they started with Christ, but some of them were being led on a wild goose chase, chasing all kinds of different things to bring them fulfillment and satisfaction. They'd lost focus. They'd gotten off track. They had drifted. Uh, they had gotten swept up in currents that took them far from where they started. Yet You ever been out in the, in the uh, ocean? You ever gone to the ocean, Right? It's kind of fun when you're a kid, you go to the ocean, and, and what do your parents say? They're up on the beach, and they're like, hey, man, uh, pay attention and keep your eye on us and all that kind of stuff, but you're on the ocean with your brother and sister, right? You're having fun. You're playing. You're throwing the ball. You're swimming, and, and you ever have this happen to you? Like, you know, like, you look up at first, you see mom and dad right there on the beach, and then you play, and like a half hour goes by, and you look the same way, and you're like, where'd they go? <laughs> Where's mom and dad? And you're like, you panic, right? You panic. Why? Why do you panic? Because you look and they're not where they were, or maybe you're not where you were. Because before you knew it, little by little, subtly, the currents kind of what? What do they do? They began to take you further and further down the beach. And mom and dad are where they were at, <laughs> but you're a long ways off because you lost focus. I think that's what Paul's talking about. He, I think Paul might be addressing them and saying we can get swept up in currents that will take us further and further away from where we started in Christ. And I think he might be addressing two particular currents. Write these down. Just, just 
for you to percolate on, the first current is this, that sweeps us away and that causes us to do bad math. The first current is this, when I settle for a transactional moment with Jesus instead of a transformational relationship. Some of you, that's, what, that's what's going on. That's the current that has swept you away. Uh, he says this in verse 6, so then just as you received Christ, he says, continue to live your lives in him. ESV version, English Standard Version says this, walk in him. It's a relational term. What's he saying? I think what he's saying is this. Let's put it in our modern understanding. For far too many of us, our experience with Jesus is only a transactional moment where I give him my sin for his righteousness. We believe that Jesus and the gospel is just about the free get out of hell card. So we believe. And then the rest of our life, we're left to figure out with how do we find meaning and purpose and satisfaction apart with Jesus. And little by little, subtly, we, we get caught in this current. I said a prayer. I walked an aisle. I raised my hand. I'm good. Now I live the rest of my life with fire insurance trying to figure out how to gain fulfillment and satisfaction. And that is not the truth of the gospel. That's bad math. That's not even math. That's what Paul's addressing. What Paul is saying is this, is that our yes to Jesus as our Savior and Lord is saying yes to a lifetime of yes. That's why he says continue in him, walk in him. When you say yes to Jesus, it begins as this transaction, your sin for his righteousness, but it is a transformational relationship that continues in every day, yes, to Jesus. Guys, that's why the powerful picture the Bible uses of our relationship with Jesus is, is this picture of marriage. Ephesians 5. Think about it. I mean, I, this year I will have been married to my wife in November for 32 years. 32 years ago, November 4th, I said yes to, to Jennifer. And, and there was a transaction that took place there, a legal transaction. We became husband and wife. But my wife and I are very glad that it was not, that our marriage was not just a legal transaction so that we could get some sort of tax benefit. When we said yes to each other, there was a legal transaction that took place that led to a lifetime of relationship. My yes to her on November 4th, 1989, said this to her, I'm gonna say yes to you every day from this day forward. And I'm going to walk with you, continue to live with you. I'm going to relate with you. This is why some of you are bored in your Christian experience. This is why it's gotten vanilla and stale. This is why some of you have left the church. It's because you've gotten swept away in the current of your relationship with Jesus is just a transactional moment. And what Paul is saying is no, no but it is a transformational relationship. But, but there's a second thing I think he might be addressing here, honestly, a second current. I'd write it down this way. Maybe the second current is this, is when I settle 
for making Jesus an accessory in my life instead of my central priority. <clears throat> it's when I settle for that. Here's what he says. He says, so then, just as you receive Christ, continue. We talked about that. And then he uses these words, rooted, built up in him, strengthened in the faith. It's like, he's the foundation. He's the one your roots are in. And the current is this, is when I make Jesus an accessory. Uh, this is the common terminology we use. Jesus is a part of my life. Jesus is a big part of my life. Jesus doesn't want to be a part of our life. He wants to be our life. This happens when, when we start with Jesus at the center. But over time, the currents begin to sweep away our focus. Like, for instance, let me just show you a couple things. It's like, for many of us, we start our relationship with Jesus and he's right there at the center. He's right there at the center. And we're like excited and it's like he saved us. But it doesn't take long over time for other things to begin to get in the way. And all of a sudden our job becomes the focus. And our identity is wrapped up in our job. And all of a sudden we become more interested in what it means to get ahead than we are in what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't stop there. I mean, it, little by little, other things, right, begin to all of a sudden, you know, like avid sports fans. And all of a sudden, I'm more curious and more tied to how well my team is doing than I am tied to the heart of Jesus. Or for some of us, it can be culture. And all of a sudden, we begin to Google because we become more interested in what the majority thinks. And all of a sudden, what the majority thinks is what must be acceptable and true and okay. So we begin to look to culture to tell us what we do sexually, how we think morally, and all of a sudden, what happens is little by little, what happens? Jesus begins to drift. For some of us, and I'm going to use my glasses, it can become the political lens that we look at life through. And all of a sudden, that takes precedence in our life, and Jesus becomes an accessory in our life. And, and before you know it, we care more about what Tucker, Tucker Carlson has to say than we do what Jesus has to say. And just so it's equal opportunity, we care more about what Don Lemon has to say than what Jesus has to say. Can you guys see how quickly this begins to happen? And all of a sudden we're not rooted and built up in him. He becomes an accessory in our life that when it's convenient, we'll pray before the game. When it's convenient, we'll pray that we get the promotion. When it's convenient, we'll use him to make our political argument. But he's an accessory. And over time, what happens, all of a sudden, my hope is not in Jesus. All of a sudden, my hope is in America, the America that I want. All of a sudden, my truth is not in Jesus, but my truth is in what the majority say. 
all of a sudden my identity is not Jesus, but my identity is in my accomplishments and my successes and the things that I get lauded for at work. You see, I think Paul's addressing this current. And he says what happens when we get caught up in these currents, Jesus stops being the priority, the foundation. And many times these currents can leave us empty, disappointed, disenfranchised, and we get blown by the storm brewing in our country, the storm brewing on our team. <laughs> All of a sudden we get caught in the current. Jesus said that complete fulfillment is found in him. Complete fulfillment is found in him when we put him at the center. Here's what he says in John 10. He says that in him is not just eternal life, but John 10, he says, in him is life and life abundant. Uh, the way Paul says it is this, in him is fullness, completeness. You see, I think this is what Paul may be addressing. That when we make Jesus an accessory in our life, he no longer is the priority. And when Jesus is no longer the priority, all of a sudden we get swept up in the currents. There is one more thing. Can we finish with this? Jesus plus nothing equals complete forgiveness. Some of you are doing bad math. Jesus plus nothing is complete fulfillment. Some of you are being swept up in the currents. But I think here's what he wants us to see. Jesus plus nothing is complete freedom. We as a people value freedom. See if you recognize these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident. You ever heard this? That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are, finish it, life, what? Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. We value freedom. We chase freedom. We long for We celebrate freedom. We see freedom as a right. But listen close, and I don't want to mumble, but sometimes in our chase for freedom, it can lead to a crisis of freedom. I want the freedom to do things my way. I want to live my life my way. I want to decide my truth. Freedom becomes not being tethered to anything. Freedom all of a sudden becomes not being accountable to anything, not tied down to anything. Many times what happens is our idea of freedom evolves to a point where it no longer becomes freedom but becomes bondage. Free from someone telling me what to do. Free from someone judging me. And Paul agrees with some of that. Look at what Paul says in verse 16. He says, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. They're trying to say, man, you got to do this. Or in regard to religious festival, new moon celebration, Sabbath day. These are shadows of the things that were to come. Uh, these re re religious realities just were shadow that is pointing to Christ. The realities found in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility, these spiritual experiences, the worship of angels, disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail of what they've seen. They're really puffed up with the idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Uh, Paul's like, don't let people make you feel bad. Like, I've had this religious experience. You need to be doing these things. Like, those are just shadows of things. The realities found in Christ. But the truth is, many people, like, that's what turns you off from church. 
That's why you've many of you have given up on church or want nothing to do with authority. Like, I don't want somebody telling me what to do. I don't want anybody judging me. But, but the truth is, many people have turned their back on that, and, and what happens is they're not any more free. Because freedom is not being untethered and unaccountable. Let me say that again. Freedom is not being untethered and not accountable. But true freedom is different, and Paul refers to it. He says, those people have lost connection with the head from whom their whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Here's what Paul's saying, and I want you to hear this. True freedom is being connected to Christ in his body. True freedom is surrendering to Christ and being a viable part of his body. True freedom is being accountable to Christ and his body. That's what true freedom is. And he's using the picture of our body. Imagine if my arm could talk to me right now. Which is kind of weird, right? But imagine my arm says, Dan, I'm sick and tired of being connected to your head and the rest of this body. I want to be free. And imagine if I could hypothetically, and I'm glad we can't do it, okay, you're free. And I could cut my arm off from the rest of the body, from my head, from the, 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 the nerves that tell it what to do. Imagine if I could do that and it just laid on the floor. That's not freedom. Now my arm is in bondage, it's paralyzed. That's what he's saying. He's saying the only, for the follower of Christ, the only place your life is gonna make sense is connected to Christ and his body. That's what he's saying. That's freedom. That is freedom. Some people say, I don't need, I don't need. And he's saying, you need connection to Christ and his body. And he's saying this, that for me to pursue meaning and purpose any other way is to listen to a leader who has already been defeated. And that's in Colossians 2. And I don't want you to miss this. Look what he says. Go back to verse 13 with me. He says, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave your sins. We talked about that. Cancel the charge which stood against you and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailed to the cross. Then look at verse 15. And he disarms the powers and the authorities and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Your connection to Christ is connected to a victorious leader and king, savior and Lord. And the picture that Paul is painting here is on purpose. It is a picture that the Roman world would have understood. It's called the Roman triumphant. That when a Roman general went in and conquered the enemy, they would have celebrated this with a triumphant processional and parade. And in that parade, first would have come the politicians and the government leaders, right? Then would have come some trumpeters, then people carrying the spoils, and the very next thing in the parade were the, the conquered leaders, the prisoners of war, 
on display in chains conquered so that everybody could see they have no more power. After them were the officers, musicians. Then came the conquering general in a chariot with four white horses pulling, his family following, and the victorious army. What is the point? What is the point? Here's the point, friend. Satan's whole goal in your life is to steal your freedom by enticing you to find freedom apart from Christ. He is a defeated general. He is a conquered king. He is on display. And what Paul is saying is this, when I put my faith in Christ, I ride in the chariot with Jesus. And Satan is a disarmed captive on display. When I put my faith in Christ, I am adopted into his family. I am a child of the king and I ride in the chariot with Jesus. And Satan is a disarmed, defeated captive and there's nothing he can do about it. When I put my faith in Christ, I am rescued out of the kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of life and I ride in the chariot with Jesus. And Satan is a defeated on display, conquered general, and there's nothing he can do about it. When I put my faith in Jesus, I go from being dead in my sin to alive, and I ride in the chariot with King Jesus. And Satan is defeated, and there's nothing he can do about it. When I put my faith in Christ, I have a new nature and I ride in the chariot with Jesus. When, when I put my faith in Jesus, I have a new identity and I now am who he says I am. And I ride in the chariot with Jesus. And Satan is a defeated, conquered, on display general. And there's nothing he can do about it. Paul in another part of the Bible, 2 Corinthians, uses the same imagery and he tweaks the, the imagery a little bit. He says, thanks be to God who always leads us as his captives. We're, we're like his now. In Christ's triumphal procession, well, well how do I know that, 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 that I am literally experiencing this complete freedom in Christ? Well, the next part of it tells me, and he uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. You know how you know that you're living in that freedom? Everywhere you go, it smells like Jesus. Everywhere you go, no matter what's going on in our nation, what's going on, everywhere you go, it smells like Jesus. That's what he's saying. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, how's your math? saying, how's your math? Are you doing good math? Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And for some of you, you're doing bad math. For some of you, you've been doing bad math and you're saying Jesus plus nothing is complete forgiveness. And you're walking around trying to figure out how to work your way out of this. And he says, no, peel it and nail it. Nail it to the cross. Jesus plus nothing is complete forgiveness. 
For others of you, you start it with Jesus. But you figured, ah, it's kind of my free get out of hell card, but other things have become more important. And he's saying, little by little, Jesus has become an accessory. And what Paul is saying is, no, that's bad math. Jesus plus nothing is complete fulfillment. And he's saying, continue in him. He's saying, walk with him, rooted in him, built up in him. For others of you, you've allowed Satan to entice you to believe that somehow true freedom is being untethered. And somehow it's, it's trying to find freedom apart from Christ. And Paul's like, no, you're missing the point. The point is this, is that true freedom is connected to Christ. Your life won't make sense otherwise as a follower of Christ. And when you connect your life to Christ, you ride in the chariot with King Jesus. The one who disarmed Satan and defeated him. How's your math? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the fact that in you we can find forgiveness from our sin completely. Life abundant, complete fulfillment, and freedom. We can find freedom because freedom is found in purpose and meaning that is connected to you. So we ride in the chariot with you. We love you. Thank you for loving us. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.